Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast where we dive into thoughtful conversations and insightful discussions with world-class people, all with the aim of inspiring, educating, and empowering our listeners. We are thrilled to have you here with us on this exciting journey to explore the diverse stories and the ideas that have the power to shape the world for the better. Welcome to Growth Untold, the podcast. Today joining us is a person who wears many hats and wears them well. She is a multi-talented model, actress, film director, social entrepreneur, and best-selling author. Her heart is set on building a better world through multiple social development and philanthropic efforts through her nonprofit founded in 2013, where she supports and funds social, emotional, life skills, education in underserved communities, and recently through Fantasia Enterprise, a for-profit education company consulting schools and institutions. Get ready to be inspired by Elisa Sidnawi Dilal. Elisa, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for coming. Thanks for coming it's on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you because my kids think I'm a very cool mom because <laughs> I told them, I said, I'm going to record the podcast with Mena Masood. And as you know, they're your big fans, longtime fans. So they were like, what? Mena Masood? Say hi to him from us. So, How old are your kids now? 10? 10 and 6. Okay, and six. wow. They're growing but, up. Growing yeah, up fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, Whoa, you're with Mena Masood today? They're like, that's cool. <laughs> and, the, and the last time we went out to lunch, I think, must have been a couple of years ago now. Yep. Was it time is flying? Yeah. No, was I it pre pandemic or post pandemic? I think it was post. I think we saw each other post as well. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. met before and then we, we saw each other post. But yeah. Time is flying. Yeah, it is. Well, thanks for coming. Um, I wanted to sit down with you because I find that you have such an interesting life. Um, you're Italian, French, Egyptian, uh, you're married to a Brazilian, Iraqi man. Like you guys are so multicultural. It's amazing. Your kids must have this, like, it's such a colorful life. They do. Yeah. They do. And then they have the best of worlds because, you know, they also live in America. So they get like a little bit of everything. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what this melting pot, you know, will um, will gift them with. But yeah. it's uh, definitely a richness, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, you look amazing for a 10-year-old and 6-year-old. <laughs> um, you tell us about your early life a little bit. Um, and you obviously, you know, started off as a model. Um, I think life has taken you in different directions all throughout. But... Like I said, you have such a incredible upbringing. You spent a lot of time in New York. You lived in London for a while. You've lived kind of all over with this French, Italian, Egyptian background. So tell us about your early life and, and how you got into modeling in the first place. Yeah, so I lived the first five years of my life in Egypt, in Cairo. And uh, we would always often go to Luxor as well, which is in the countryside of Egypt. Um, and for those who don't know, Luxor and Aswan is really where all, you know, the ancient Egyptian artifacts are. People think of the Great Pyramids in Cairo, but that's not where the ancient Egyptians really lived. They lived in like Luxor and Aswan. So that that's amazing. Yes, yes. It's very special. The Valley of the Kings, Valley of the Queens is, you know, there is something in the air, you know, this yes. history and this energy that's very particular. 
So, you know, Egypt was formative years. I always say it's my senses, you know, the sense of smell, hearing, the, mm -hmm. the, the feeling of home really resonates when I arrive, when I land in Egypt. And then I moved to Italy. My parents separated and I grew up between, I mean, the first years in Milan, which was Italian town. And then I went into the countryside. So in Piedmont, which is between Milan and France. And that was a small town, 30,000 inhabitants, I mean, overall, but it's the kind of town where everywhere you go, you say, hi, hi, everyone knows who you are, your family history <laughs> and wow. all of that. And then, you know, I started modeling very young. I started at 14 years old and I started really, you know, my mother was working in the fashion business. She was a model herself originally, but then quickly became a fashion stylist and then she became a talent scout. And then one day when I was 13, you know, all leading up to that, I used to be her assistant on castings. <laughs> so I used to go everywhere, um, you know, to the modeling agencies or when she was doing like big travel castings, yeah. especially for Japan. She was she was a talent scout for Japanese agencies. Oh, wow. So there was also that big component of Japan in my life. Wow. And I went to Japan when I was 12 the first time with her. But anyway, a few years later, I found myself in an agency in Paris and she was there to discuss, uh, you know, some other models. And then the agent looks at me and says, but why doesn't she do it? And, you know, looking back, I was very young. There was a rawness, both like, you know, in my look, but really, you know, in my also mm -hmm. my development. But when they ask you at 13 years old to be a model and, you know, you've seen so many models growing up and you're surrounded by models, there is a part of you that kind of wants to say, yeah, I can do that, right? I mean, you want to prove your, to yourself and to others that you can do that. And to your mom too, I'm sure. <laughs> and because... to my mom too. Uh, and also there was a big component of economic kind of independence because, you know, I needed to provide for myself. You know, my parents were artists, creative people that in some many ways uh, didn't really take decisions that necessarily provided all that financial security, Yeah, yeah. which meant that at the age of 14, I was really already thinking about really serious things like, you know, how am I going to pay the books for school and like wow. things like that. And, and so modeling was this kind of opportunity to not only travel the world, but also start to be, you know, earning money. And soon after, you know, I started also supporting members of my family. And so, you know, modeling was never really the kind of dream or choice, like in my perception. Um, I never, you know, had this inner dream that ooh, I wanted to be a top model or, a, you know, yeah. but it, it, it kind of was an incredible opportunity for me to travel the world. I traveled the most incredible places that I would probably not have gone to if it wasn't for these shoots that would happen like in the middle of nowhere in Africa, in Uruguay, in Mexico, in like, you know, I traveled all over Europe and working, which was a 
also a different dynamic of work of traveling yeah it's a blessing yeah right and was your father did you have a relationship with him at the time was he against it i mean he was an artist so he understood that you know this world but was he against my it? father was totally against it yeah, whenever it imagine. was time to sign approvals yeah. and things because i was a minor right for certain things you needed approval he was always against it he would always say no I'm but, sure like Egyptian man too with his yeah, young only daughter being like yeah, yeah yeah he was you know he is layered you know in in many ways <laughs> but he definitely wasn't like very supportive of it you know but I would say that my whole family except with the exception of my mother nobody was supportive of it until I became successful right and then when I was successful suddenly everything made sense All right But until then, you know, it was primarily and it is primarily a family of that made choices that we would we could describe as intellectual or, you know, d- different kind of profe- professions. Like my father's brother was a scientist that builds uh, little planes during the weekend and wow. flies his planes to to see his planes. Uh, my, you know, they would work in 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 sorry publishing houses. I don't know, like it, it was very intellectual. So they looked down on modeling. Yeah, modeling for them was like, why why would you do that? Why wouldn't you do something where you use your brain? Yeah, why would you throw your life away? My my experience was the same in my <laughs> with my parents. Uh, <laughs> my parents thought I was throwing my life away essentially. And then when I found success, it was like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> Is this look at this guy? <laughs> so yeah, I totally get always that. believed exactly. in you since day one. Always yeah. believed, always knew you would make it. Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. No, I was not telling you not to do it. I just was worried about you. <laughs> so yeah, I totally get that. Can you, totally get that can you talk about you like just the experience of just traveling at such a young age and growing up in like Italy, France, Egypt. Like, what was some of the cultural nuances that you had to learn? along the way like some things are done this way in this culture some things are done this way like was it like trial and error your mom and dad like slapping the wrist don't do that you have to do this this way now beautiful question i mean there is something to be said about the fact that the world with social media and with the internet has changed a lot in the last 20 years right let's say f- compared to that time that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So a mixed identity, and I bet it was a similar thing in your experience, um, was a challenging thing in the 80s. It wasn't that accepted yet to be different, to not be born and bred from the same place. And, you know, and for both parents to be from the same place, Mm -hmm. you know, and I lived in very, you know, that's why I made a point of saying it was a small village in the countryside. And even Milan in the 90s, Milan was very provincial. And I say this, all the Italians watching will know what I mean. It still has sides like that, but it became much more international in the last years, you know. So to your question, I think the challenge in the beginning was that I was never one thing enough. I was never Italian enough because they could see that I was mixed and I spoke in a particular way and I could, you know, I, I was speaking different languages, which was unheard of. I mean, there was maybe 
once in a while a child who spoke English because the mother was American, but, you know, speaking English, speaking French, speaking Arabic, you know, that was weird. I was the only one, Sednawi, an Arab name. I was the only one with other two boys, Ahmed and Abdurrahman, that came from Morocco with an Arab name in the little village in the countryside of Italy. Now that has changed tremendously. You walk through yeah. the same town and you hear English, you hear Spanish, you hear so many languages. Now, France also, you know, France, I had an accent. I had an accent. I speak, I'm fluent. I'm bilingual French, Italian, I sp Spanish uh, and English, but I have an accent, right? So in, in French, I had an accent. So it was always like, where are you from, right? What are, yeah. what are you, right? Yeah. And then in Egypt, I don't look Egyptian, like from the stereotype of, yeah, yeah. you know, what someone thinks an Egyptian looks like. The reality is when you know Egypt, there are, you know, yeah. different ways of being Egyptian. Um, so There are know, definitely Egyptians who look like you. It's just not a lot. It's right. very rare. Um, right. And there are Egyptians who are, you know, very, very dark skinned who, you know, yeah. look African, your typical African-American. Right. Which makes sense because Egypt is in Africa. Egypt is multi, as, you know, as diverse as as uh, almost any other place. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I you know, I would never be. I Sorry, I'm. <laughs> That's my Italian Egyptian side. Yes, I have, exactly. If I don't speak with my hands, I'm not saying it fully. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> don't let it stop um, you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, my parents were very multicultural, so it didn't really come from them. They were always kind of like uh, supporting this idea that I was, I was who I was in my multicultural mm -hmm. kind of way. Um, but I suffered. I suffered because I was, you know, bullied in school. Not, not bullied in that, you know, violent way that people think of when you say bullying, oh, you think like being beaten up. No, but excluded, teased, like, you know, not necessarily always part of the group until a later age when I found my first group that are actually my best friends to this day, my friends wow. from high school, my girlfriends from high school are still my best friends. Yeah, I, I, I felt that I was different and different was not a good thing back right. then. Right, yeah, I always say that you didn't feel Italian enough, you didn't feel French enough, you didn't feel Egyptian enough to belong to any one of those communities, which is, I, I always kind of say that too. Like I, growing up in Canada, I didn't feel Canadian enough obvi for obvious reasons. I, you know, I was ethnic and, and mm -hmm. Alex and I went to school together. We were, one, you know, a, a few of the only ethnic people in school. I, but I wasn't Egyptian enough either. And even now when I go to Egypt, you know, it's it's different. There's these different groups where you always don't feel like you're enough of that one thing. Like in Hollywood, I'm like, I'm not like your typical like Hollywood LA guy either. So, you know, you, you kind of always feel like you're stuck in the middle and you've got to find your own people, like you said, and, and your own path. Yeah. And so you, you got into modeling really young and obviously what I also find fascinating is you like you lived in New York for a little bit. You lived yeah. in London for a little bit. Yeah. How was that experience of always jumping around? That also must have added to the not feeling like 
well, I'm like not a New Yorker really, or I'm not like a Londoner really. How was that? Right. Living in those different places. You know, places? New York and America, I find have a way, or at least this was my experience, mm -hmm. to make you feel that you know, this expression, come as you are, and, yeah. and, and that however you are is fine. I mean, obviously, what you're saying about Hollywood and fitting into, you know, whatever stereotypes that the big studios or, you know, the movie industry want, uh, uses, let's say, to for, for their stories, it's absolutely real and it's a different thing. But I talk mm -hmm. as a person, New York yeah. was unbelievable for me. I mean, you know, I get emotional just thinking about it. The first day that I landed in New York at 18 years old and I just literally, I landed and I felt this, the vibrance of that town and I felt, you know, this is where I'm going to live. This is where I want to be and this is where I get a chance to just be me. And it doesn't matter where I come from and actually this richness of my the 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 variety <laughs> and kind mm -hmm. of again this mixture is really a richness because New York is so multicultural in that way. Of course, so even in the seventies, yeah, of course. So many people from different walks of life get to New York, and just that energy of, you know, if I have a dream and if I have this vision of what it is I want, I can. I can make it if I work hard enough for it. And if I'm lucky, of course, I, I can make it. And so for me, New York was really this pivotal moment, pivotal moment in my life. And I and I said I, I was supposed to be there for two days. I ended up staying for two weeks and I came back to Paris and I was at that point I was modeling and acting and I I said to my agents, I said, I'm moving to New York. And they were like, no, please. Because they knew once I would move to New York, I would never come back. <laughs> so they said to me, please give us six months. And it was very funny because I didn't even notice. I didn't even realize when I booked the ticket. But exactly. So it was, it was the 11th of September, not 2001, 2006, that I went to New York for, for the first time. Strange date to arrive, but that yeah. was the date that the job was. 11th of September, I landed. And the 11th of April, so exactly six months later, mm. I moved to New York. Wow. And wow. 11 turns out to be, we can talk about it later, a funny interesting crazy number in my life where a lot of things happened for me on the 11th but yeah so six months later I moved to New York and then I lived in New York for five years even though at that time you know no kids young woman I mean it's yeah. it was amazing I would travel from New York to Europe, my friends used to say, I mean, it's like the bus for you. I would go from New York <laughs> to Paris, New York, Paris, me like I would, I, I, and I wouldn't feel it. And I was, it was just my lifestyle, you know, I would yeah, be from yeah. one place to the other. And I loved that. I really enjoyed that. You know, I have this traveler in me and uh, New York, you know, five years. And then I met my husband. I met my husband in London in 2012. And I was in London editing a documentary that I had directed in Egypt yeah. after the, the 2011 uh, revolution, uh, the Arab Spring. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, and very quickly we understood that it wasn't going to be a distance relationship. I mean, he was very <laughs> clear about it. He says, you know, I'm not going to have a distance relationship. And for me, it was a no brainer. And, you know, I knew that this was the person I was going to be with. And so I moved. I left New York and I moved to London. Which, hey, like has some similarities, right? A lot of people say London is like the New York of Europe. It definitely is. You know, it's the Anglo-Saxon town of, you know, Europe. I say it's the most civilized town in the world, London. And when the sun is shining in London, it's it's a fantastic town. And, you know, London was the town where I got married, where I had my first son. And it's a very special place to my heart. I found it to be less open though in certain ways as much as you know of course as a european it felt familiar because there are a lot of europeans french spanish italians uh, you know i had family there some of my best friends were living there at the time and you know of course all of my husband's friends and family but there was something that was very different from new york new york had this sparkle pace, opportunity, speed, and London is not like that at all. I found it in certain things not very spontaneous, not very conducive. So it was cozy, and it and that's what I needed at that point, you know. But you grew up quickly. Yeah, like, exactly. Of you, course, you started working professionally as a model at fourteen. Like you grew up quickly, so yeah. it would make sense to me that at 25, 11 years later, you probably felt like it's time for this next phase of my life. Like yeah. that, that makes sense. And it goes back to what you said earlier about social media. Social media is is changing the world in such a rapid way, but it's also, I think, contributing to women having kids later and people starting families later. Like I'm 32 and now I'm starting to think about like, all right, it's time to settle down, have a family. Right. You know, whereas maybe 20 years ago, like my dad probably thought about that when he was 22, not right. 32. You know right. what I mean? Maybe, maybe a little bit later, but but you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And so how was that navigating, you, you know, obviously traveling the world, being a model, being a woman, and also I know you, like you had other aspirations. You were like, I want to act, I want to direct, Um, And we'll talk about, you know, eventually uh, Fantasia, which you've started as well. Uh, How was that navigating that? Did you always know there was more to modeling? Like that was something that you always kind of had in the back of your head or were you just really laser focused on it? At the end of the day, I think you need to be focused to kind of get to something. I think if you're too scattered and the the expression, you know, spread too thin. At the end of the day, you don't do anything properly. So, of course, in those years, modeling and acting were really my main focus Mm because that's just what took all of my time and that was required to get to kind of the, the, the great jobs, the jobs that were really fulfilling as well you know in terms of the partnership that I did with Chanel with Karl Lagerfeld my work over the years with all of those major brands Um, but I always knew that that wasn't enough you know and and wasn't enough for you as a person for me wasn't enough and I'll explain why I mean you know the the natural kind of thought would be okay 
acting. So then you're become, you know, modeling, great, great introduction, you know, and you, you know, modeling, acting, and then kind of settling into the acting. And somehow I had an internal conflict with that. Every time I would receive an audition, instead of being excited, I was like, oh, interiorly, you know, and that's something I'd love to talk about later as well in terms of, you know, the topic of your, of your podcast, this idea of really being in tune with your deeper purpose, your, what really drives you besides, you know, the programming that you've received as a child, besides what society tells you you should be, you know, or life experiences that lead you in a certain direction. What is it that really moves you, that you're really happy to do or just passionate or that drives you. So with acting, you know, I always had this conflict and anyone that was with me, like around me at that time knows that. And it was this crazy thing because I was getting the opportunity. I was getting the roles. I was getting the thing. And they were like, but why don't you like, do you want this? Like you, 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 sh you should do it. You're, you're good at it. You're, it's, it's working out. And I'm like, I don't know. I have a conflict with this. I just feel this is not it. Something's right? not sitting right with Something's you. Something's not right. And I'm very grateful for the opportunities and the learnings because the learnings that movie business gave me and being able to do it across different countries, again, Italy, France, you know, uh, some English stuff, mm, really was formative. And I use it still today, even now, you know, like just the relationship with the camera that I use for other parts of my work. But it just didn't sit right. It just and so inside there was something that was boiling, you know, like something that was like, like brewing. And I was like, I knew that it, it like I knew deep down that it had to see with development, with culture. Uh, I always said before I, you know, I always said I wanted to be a diplomat. These were the careers I looked up to. And today I think, wow, thank God I'm not a <laughs> diplomat just because I feel that has so many ties. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're not as free as we, we think in a way. But that was always what I was interested in. Cross-cultural communication, interestingly mm. enough, right? <laughs> With the whole mixture of cultures. Yeah. Cross-cultural communication, mediation, uh, 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 building together. How do we, you know change the world positively it had everything to do with who you really are as a person and your upbringing and your background really and where all of this mixture background life experience working in such different businesses as well and environments and things could be put to use so um i guess what happened is that there was a particular moment that kind of like lit the the lamp bulb up which was in Egypt, in Luxor, during when I was shooting that documentary. The documentary was the first time I really felt I was doing something for me that I chose to do. And again, right. then back then my agents were like, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is she going to do in Egypt now? Self-produced, self, I directed myself. I was holding the camera. I was interviewing. I was doing everything myself. It was my school, basically. <laughs> That's as usual, experiential school. <laughs> <laughs> and... I find myself during, it was Ramadan, so the month of fasting, 
uh, for Islamic uh, religion. And it was August in Luxor. Oh my God, scorching hot. I don't know. I am still not used to this Fahrenheit degrees, but it was 50 50 degrees Celsius. 50 degrees Celsius. You're talking like 130, 100 and yeah. So it's incredibly hot. Like you're in a trance, it's so hot. (laughs) Like my best friend who was co-directing this with me from Italy, she was like, what is going on here? <laughs> it was like crazy, right? So month of August, Ramadan, and we get invited to shoot because I knew some of the people that were working in a school of run by volunteers, right? The school, was, normal school was shut in summer, but it was a classroom where volunteers, teachers were teaching extra classes of English, math, and Egyptian uh, Arabic to these kids, to kids that were probably six years old, seven years old, who instead of being there or being being at home watching TV or watch or playing, were there, right? And I, it was a crazy moment because I actually was filming this moment. So I actually also have the images of while all of this kind of processed in my head. And I saw the thirst of kids that just want to learn and they're sponges and I you know like they just they don't even know they're not even that aware of how much they want to learn but just it's all so open right and then on front of them teachers that were not paid that were there to teach them and who didn't have the tools to really teach them because they were like, I mean, you know, if you watch these images, you as an Egyptian particularly, you would laugh of how they were teaching finger, finger, and everybody had to repeat the word finger, finger. And it was all by heart like this. It was like a really powerful moment. And I was like, wow, I went home that day and I said, this is it. There is something to be done in education to bridge and systematize educational methods and I knew back then that there were already amazing educational methods methods that had been developed. Not, it wasn't about necessarily reinventing the wheel, but kind of putting things under an umbrella, systematizing the access. Packaging it, yeah. And broadening it and bringing it to communities. So that's how it started. And, you know, immediately... So that's where you said, this is my purpose. This is what I want to do. I immediately, I knew it, it was a complete al- alignment. This is what I'm here to do. Wow. This is what I'm here to do. So tell us about that. You started Fantasia. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Because you say it with an accent. I say it Fantasia, but I always say it's freedom to everyone to pronounce (laughs) it the way they prefer. Yeah, Fantasia. (laughs) Uh, So when did you start that? Because obviously that was the moment where you realized that would be born. But when did you start it? Um, And I remember last time we went out, you, you were talking to me about some great progression that you were making as well. Where is it now? Yeah. So it's been 10 years. Wow. 10 years of a journey. Again, experiential learning, which is one of the methodologies uh, that we kind of bring forth with Fantasia. Um, What I mean by that, I learned by doing, right? And now, actually, I'm starting my journey. You know, my one 
one of my dreams that I did not fulfill yet was to study. I always had this um, admiration because I had to work. Right, because we didn't talk about that. Yeah, you started so young, you didn't I mean, you know, I was a very good... In high school, I got like the biggest degrees, uh, the the best degrees, like 95 out of 100 points. They didn't give me the last five points just because I was never there the last year because I was always (laughs) traveling, working. And during the exam of high school, the teachers were like, promise us, promise us that you're not going to model, promise us that you're going to study because I was an academic child and I loved school and I loved learning. You get that from your dad, by the way, that Egyptian, uh, I'm telling Fire. you. Fire. Uh, Egyptian, <laughs> Egyptians are smart, man. We built the pyramids. No one, still no one can figure it out. I, I truly believe Egyptians are some of the smartest people in the world, but I'm biased, obviously, yeah. for yeah. obvious reasons. They are. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, I finished high school, but my dream was to go to university. And that was the one thing, it still is, this one thing that I'm like, that's something that I really want and, mm-hmm. and missed out on. So now I'm starting my steps to get my first BA in education. Wow. So I'm very wow. excited about that. But good for you at I'm, 35. Yeah. You're, you're so, gonna... yeah. And the system is not designed. I mean, this is all, you know, I think re- it makes sense within, you know, the topic of your podcast. The system is not designed for people at 35 that have worked for 10 or 20 years uh, to I've worked for t- more than 20 years now yeah. um, wow. to go back and study. Like I tell you, just starting the process, like, yeah. you know, it's designed for freshmen, for people that, you know, for 18 year olds. Yeah. And, and I got to I, I got to ask mm-hmm. you about that. So I'm with you that the university system and the school system is is really designed, I think, for ulterior motives. I don't think the the number one motive of the school system is to actually teach people in the best way possible. Like, for example, I won't get into, like, the conspiracy behind it, but, for example, they don't teach you anything about finances in school, which is, like, an incredibly important part of life and, like, important no matter what job you do. They don't really teach you that. Um, that's just one example. Yeah. So yeah. why have you decided to go to university as opposed to like, hey, I want to learn, so I'm going to take these online courses or I'm going to, uh, you know, read and watch YouTube videos. You're also a big reader. Um, I, I know you finish, like, you, you like read a lot, right? Yeah. You like, a book. Yeah. And, yeah, and of course, you've, <laughs> and you've written a book as well. Um, you're a published author, but you love to read yeah. and you love to learn. But why specifically like the university BA, Bachelor of Arts, you know, system. Look, I've done uh, like the online courses. I've done the Harvard uh, negotiation uh, online course. I did now a UCLA extension child development course. I've done like individual courses and I think those are great and I highly recommend because it's amazing how much you can learn and how much uh, the online can can you know enable us to learn from wherever right you don't have to physically be there those courses are amazing you can go at your own pace some of them i mean and some are more like you don't necessarily have to show up like uh, or to a live stream mm-hmm. but you have assignments that are every week but now it kind of you know after 10 years of working with education specialists uh, psychologists, sociologists, uh, social emotional education experts, and learning on the ground again experientially by doing. I just get 
I got to the point where I want my own, my own credential as well in terms of the education. And I right. know I have a part of it. I know I, I know what I'm talking about after yeah. 10 years of working on it. And I can talk to you about, you know, many things in education. But I want to learn more. I want to learn things that I don't know. I want to understand better the research. And it's even more ignited by the child development course that I did uh, at UCLA Extension because it just it, it just gave me such a perspective to understand uh, the depths of how it's been uh, analyzed and studied from the experts, from the theorists, you know, and from from Freud, from Erickson, from Piaget, all of these people that worked on education and studied education and child development and 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 how, you know, we develop and learn. But it kind of, I, I want to, I want to, but the, the answer to your question is, I kind of want to enrich my uh, grassroots experience, my experience on the ground with kind of empirical academic knowledge so that I continue to improve myself, strengthen myself, and um, I guess also deepen my credibility in my yeah. work. It seems like you're a dedicated lifelong learner and just the energy that you give off, it's infectious right now, by the way, too. You have an amazing energy about you, like in a whole zest for life. Um, and thank you. I would love to talk more about just the way you learn. Like, I think you've had the real life experiences. You've written a book. You're enrolled in school. What are some other ways you learn? And even just me and I were looking at your socials before this and like you, there's some incredible content that you share. Everybody, if you're listening, follow her Instagram account for some amazing content. But where does this like hunger to learn come from? And then also, what are some other platforms that you use to learn and to develop more, I guess, as a, as a, as a person? You know, I was talking about it with my son yesterday because he goes to an amazing school where they have a lot of social, social emotional is a big part. And so they send me homework. And yesterday, <laughs> meaning like parents, parents yeah. get homework. And yes, very California of them. But it was, but um, I couldn't be happier. And because I, you know, that's really what I think sh should happen. And the question yesterday was, you know, what are three values that you live by? And then the next question was like, how did you develop them? Right. And I was my answer was every day, every interaction, every challenge is a way for us to develop and strengthen values because Every moment, you know, I like one of the ways I learn is by absorption, observing and absorbing, mm -hmm. right? Like every moment, every interaction, I'm looking, how is this person communicating? How are they interacting with me? How is their energy? You know, and I have an innate desire to just improve myself, you know? And, and I think, by the way, working in the entertainment business, and watching yourself, having to watch yourself, which I, I do less and less to try to not uh, over, because I can be very critical of myself. Mm -hmm. So I sometimes if I record a video and I felt in the moment that it was fine or I let it, it I let <laughs> it because otherwise you start overanalyzing everything. And that's something that I want to say again in terms of, 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 of the theme of your podcast. You know, sometimes you also have to learn how to kind of not 
over-criticize ourselves and overthink things and get into these mental loopholes because that's not productive either, right? But I'm grateful of having analyzed myself, analyzed how I come across, uh, how, you know, and, and just learning how to improve that for the purpose of getting a message across. And how do I learn? I learn, you know, books is I, I you know I I'm I find that life has this way of if you stay attuned again c- c- connected with that inner voice that inner like soul inner soul and you cultivate that life will bring you things you know life universe god whatever you want to call it it'll bring you things. And interestingly enough, it's always the right thing at the right time if you're mm-hmm. paying attention, right? It's the right book. It's the right, and you're like, well, how did I land on this? Why did I open this by mistake? And then this led me to this. So, you know, books, I look for the information. I have a lot of conversation. I, you know, one of the things that Fantasia aims to to strengthen and, and teach children and their educators is listening, active listening, listening not to answer, which is what most of us do. You know, we're sitting there <laughs> and then all we, we're yeah. just waiting for our cue to, to answer. Yeah. And I tell Alex that all the time. I tell him, Alex, what are you doing here? I know. <laughs> just listen to me without having to always have someone to say. Oh, I so tell anyways. him that all the time. <laughs> but that's funny that you said that. I was listening. Uh, I think it was like another podcast, big podcaster. I think that's why we started one, right, Mina? But there was a, they said the best conversation is the game of catch. When you play catch with somebody, you throw back and forth, back and forth. You don't chuck the ball at them and you whip it down the field and they're like, where'd that go, right? And that ball is the medium and the message you're conveying to the person. It's a beautiful game of back and forth. And that's the way you should learn yeah. as well, right? I think that's... I think it's an age thing too, what you were saying earlier about being, um, like sitting back and observing and also being confident about who you are like as i've gotten older i've spent less time watching and critiquing myself and being like i should do this differently i should do that and more i'm more like i understand who i am so i don't have to spend as much time doing that and that's i think when life really opens up at least for me it really opened up in a lot of ways because i was like okay i'm no longer trying to like a prove who I who I am to other people, but B like understand who I am and 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 why I'm doing certain things. It's like just like yeah, I just that's me. So yeah. I've accepted that, and 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 I think that goes into what you're saying about listening, what which is right. Obviously, because we're in a you know we're recording a podcast, it's different. But in life now, I've noticed myself just listening to people. Yeah, and even if I have something to say about what they said, I just say it in my head. Because really, right. it's just for me. Right. It's not for them, right? right? Like what you said about observing people and like why they're doing certain things. Now I observe people, like what people do sometimes. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But I don't like say it. I don't have to say anything about it. It's right. just like in my head, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, maybe I can learn from that. Or maybe I can learn, you know what I mean? Right. So it's, 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 right. Yeah, that's, that resonated right. with me, what you said. Yeah. In terms of your, your work, you do a lot of work in philanthropy, social entrepreneurship. Um, what are, I guess, some of the challenges working through that and, and balancing all these things? Because you, 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 your hands are in so many different projects that you're, you're working on. How do you, I guess, how do you balance that? I think 
one of the things I became more aware of lately is that the idea of balance is BS, <laughs> especially for women. I'm a feminist that believes that men have not chosen patriarchy either. I believe that men were born in the patriarchy, so I don't think it's men's fault. Uh, I mean, I think we all have to work together to to just improve ourselves and get past. So I didn't mean it in a in a in a no, feminist way. No, no, you can way. speak speak openly. But what I mean that. is that, you know, by the nature of fact that we are the ones that become pregnant, that has a great impact, a great impact on our lives, great impact on our work. And so there is this idea that women that want to work and want to do things need to balance it all. And I had this great conversation with some women last year. I mean, they were having the conversation and I was invited and I was listening again. And they were talking about how it's, it's an idea, the balance. You can't. You just do the best that you can and you try again to be in accordance with yourself, right? So there is a lot of management of time. And I think the way I, I make it work, I mean, firstly, I'm really trying to not spread my myself too thin anymore. This is something we talked about, I think, last time we, we had And I lunch. said it even earlier now. I just, I think one of the risks, and I think this is something that we have in common, Mena, that, you know, we like trying different things. Mm -hmm. We not just trying. We are we are we are working in different aspects. You know, I cook your recipes of the you know <laughs> vegan book. In fact, he thanks to his book, I learned to do Egyptian salads that I didn't know oh, how wow. to do. So I'm very happy. Shout out to evolving you vegan. Know, uh, you know, <laughs> your work. You know, as an actor, your work here doing a podcast. I mean, you know, you're an entrepreneur. I mean, all the different things that you do. One of the risks is that you know there is just too much because yeah. bringing these visions to reality you know to your point i mean how does this happen how do you realize the vision how do you realize this desire right um i think the reality of life with bureaucracy and just the number of hours that there are in a day i mean you know i've said it many times i wish there were more hours in a day because i just need more time to work i need more time to be a partner. Uh, I need more time to just be Elisa and have fun. And I need fun because if I don't have fun, I, I miss a sparkle, Yeah, you know? So you're saying there's a risk is, is what you were going to say that yeah. there's a risk when you're spreading yourself too thin that at least for me, you feel like you neglected that yeah, that you're never one of doing anything things. properly. Exactly. Like sometimes I feel like, man, am I neglecting acting? Like, should I be spending this time studying and like, yeah. you know, like doing clown or doing extra classes or going back into the workshop? And so I, I, I totally agree with you. And I've, I've struggled with that. And I've had this conversation with Alex as well. Um, am I doing too much? Should I just give my whole life to one thing? And we've had this top, you know, conversation with other guests. But I then think there are people that need to do more than one thing. That, that's just how we are programmed, right? So I think it's about really being selective and really being in tune with yourself. Being honest with yourself and compassionate with yourself. Because, you know, I have 
parts of me that are overachieving. And I have an overachieving voice in myself that I had to develop to deal with a lot of things from my childhood where I had too many responsibilities too early, where um, I had this voice that just kept me going, going, and what's next? And what's the list? And what's this? And have you done this? And not being able to go off, let go, you know? And that is another risk as well. Because mm. I really think, to use the word balance, even though it's not balance, but, you know, life, you know, there is an equilibrium. And I need fun. And I need moments of contemplation and doing nothing. And I used to feel guilty. I used to yeah. feel guilty when I would sit down on the sofa or watch a se I mean, for years, I couldn't watch a series on TV. Well, yeah. Because, I, you know, uh, at night, conditions. I mean, I would crash because I was so tired after a whole day with the kids and working. But, you know, I just didn't give myself that time. And now I know I need that time to be creative. Yeah. And is that what you were saying, that as a woman, you you feel like you don't have as much time because you're the one getting it's pregnant very much and having in demand. kids? It's, it's, yeah, you're, you're very much in demand. <laughs> you're in demand. <laughs> in That's a house. good way to put it. You're, you in know, you're needed. You're needed. <clears throat> yeah. And I genuinely want to do those things as well. And I know that that's my responsibility. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to say one thing, just in terms of what you were talking, just one thing before we pass to the next question about validation. Because, you know, entertainment business, you know, modeling, <clears throat> acting, but also social media as a general for anyone who has an account or anyone that's, you know, out there putting content. It's a big threat, this risk of feeding into our need of validation, you know, and, and that way because you were talking about, you know, that moment where you stopped wanting to please in that way so much or being liked so much or like overanalyzing yourself in that way. And that was your big like moment, like where you really stepped into, you know, and it will continue to evolve for all of us. I mean, we never arrived. The, we're always, you know, we, when we think we've learned and understood something, then the next thing to learn and the next set of questions come, right? But I think we have to be very careful in this era of when we feed into this need of validation. And, and and just keeping that in mind when we work, when we communicate, when we do, because that can be a big, uh, a big hindrance, a big hindrance in actually realizing what we set out to do. And recognizing that that's what you're looking for, because I think a lot of people post on social media and whatnot, they don't even realize that the reason they're posting, the reason they're doing this is because they're looking for that validation. And I catch myself doing it too, right? I'll post something, go on. How many likes did I get? How many views did I like get? That's you looking for validation, which is funny that you say that because I literally think that my last thread that I, that I wrote on threads was... If you try to be everything to everyone, you'll end up nothing to no one. And that was such a big, big thing for me when I heard that because I didn't, I didn't come up with that saying. That's that you know, that's a very from popular. One of our guests. Yeah, from, yeah, from, from one Jim of our Shark. guests, I think. <laughs> and I, and I, when I heard it, I was like, man, that's true. Like, you're looking for validation constantly from people 
that you're just trying to be everything to everyone. Like I've got to, and and for me too, because I grew up trying to please everyone, right? Got to please my parents because they want me to do well academically. I've got to please my sisters because they're my older sisters, and you know they're they're studying and whatever. I've got, I want to please myself because what I really want to do is act and like arts. So you grow up looking for validation, trying to please everybody, and then you end up just lost in this abyss of 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 like nothingness. Yeah, you know. And so it, it, you're right. It is really important, and um, yeah. And I, I'm trying to spend less time on it and and, fi- and find a balance. But the reality of our work too is that it's a big decision to make. Whether are, am I? Are you going to move forward in your profession without social media? Because that's like a big it's tool a you're not using. I'm asking myself a lot these days. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's so many. And what is social media? Like right now with yeah. what's going on in the world, um, you know, sometimes you feel this pressure that you have to have an opinion on things. You have to post about things. And it's like, yo, yo, relax. Like I, I'm an actor or I'm a model or, you know, yeah. I, I, or I'm a, I'm a marketing executive. I don't have to give my opinion on political subjects. I don't have to give my opinion on scientific subjects because this happened during the pandemic too. Everybody wanted to know yeah. everybody's stance Everybody on where where do you a... stand and all this stuff. Yeah. And, and and you're right. I think social media is going through a growth phase right now and it's a little toxic. So you do have to, you just have to be careful. It's toxic and it's overloaded of content. And so, you know, that's why I appreciate so much the form of a podcast because it allows to have a conversation, taking the time to have it and to really go through a, a, a topic and a subject rather than this battle to capture the attention of someone within three seconds before they scroll to the next thing. It's, it's crazy if you think about it, what we've done. And I really think, to your point, that it's an incredible opportunity for talent, individuals, to have a channel that allows them to speak directly to an audience without passing through the intermediary of um, a journalist or media or other people talking for you. And I think maybe, I mean, I've had this, I don't read the interviews anymore. Yeah, I don't, just because I've, I accept in the moment I do the interview that I'm doing it for X reason. Yeah, but you're totally going to listen to this one. No, I am. No, this one, <laughs> yet. Yeah, no, yeah, that's different. That's different because this is a conversation, of course, right? Of course, And but But the interview, when a journalist interviews you and then no, writes no. the article, right? And kind of get... summarizes. And, it, and it's fine. I just accept that it's another yeah. person who's going to have to kind of condense what I said and say it in their own words. And it will never be exactly accurate yeah and they, i have an issue with that right but course. i just don't read it of course i do and too I I, i've gotten a, i've gotten in i've gotten in a lot of trouble in my past for giving an interview and it getting skewed and even like giving the interview to one outlet and then lots of other outlets taking that headline bigger outlets taking that headline massive outlets the biggest outlets <laughs> taking that headline and turning it into a clickbait headline but no one actually went back and read my whole interview. Right. And so what I've started doing, and this should be noticed to all, <laughs> all the journalists I speak to, is I record all my interviews now. Uh-huh. I record all of them. Uh-huh. Because if a journalist a wants to one. come out and say, Mina Masood said this in our interview, I have it. And I'm like, no, no, actually, 
you you're taking it oh, out that's of context. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh I'm definitely gonna copy trust that. no one. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah. I say it again with compassion. I understand. They yeah. are they are not you. Of they course. are they are summarizing. They have a direction from their editor. They, do. they were told what the subject was. Yeah. You know, as you can see, I like to talk. So you know, you can <laughs> open a lot of things. So I get it. I I have compassion, but I have to protect myself of course from reading the interview and getting mad because i'm yes. like mm. and then the reality is it doesn't really matter do you know yeah. it, of course it matters of course it matters if you're if you get yeah. if your quote gets changed and taken yeah, out of yeah. context and made a clickbait of of course it matters but rea really like an article that is approximately true Sure, you know, it's still an article. Publicity yeah. is always publicity. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. this is a good and learning in terms of, of, of people's obsession with controlling every aspect of their life. There's Once you do the interview, the, the loss of control is evident. You, you lose the complete control. You pass over the reins of the person who's done the interview. But it is nice that you both said that once that interview is done, you're like, okay, I'm not going to hold the hockey stick anymore. Uh, terrible analogy, but like you. Very you Canadian can, of you. Very Canadian of me. Okay. <laughs> you can run with it. It's yours now, right? <laughs> That's not mine. That even though you guys care about your intellectual property, it matters. Your brand matters. You build it up, right? But it's gone. It's like in an abyss now. And it's nice that you have peace because I think if we take even a step back, I feel like everybody has an obsession with controlling everything all at once, right? Yeah, you have to. You have to find peace in yeah. this crazy world and and social media and 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 yeah, I've struggled with that too. I've I've yeah. thought. I would be more peaceful and it's something I still struggle with. I mean, this might by the time this episode comes out, I might not be on social media. I don't know. I don't know, but it's something that I've said cuz as I've gotten older as well, no. and I'm you know, like I said, now I'm thinking about settling down, getting married, having kids, like all those things are becoming very real to me. I'm like what really matters is my inner peace. And if my inner peace, my gut, like you were saying earlier, is telling me get off social media, like who cares? Then maybe that's the right thing to do. You know, I'll find other ways to market. And I, I've always, I've told Alex as well, like, I look up to, I miss the era of, like, George Clooney, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, where people used to have to go to the movies to yeah. watch them. Yeah. That was it. They couldn't follow them on Instagram. You want to see Al Pacino? And everybody does, because he's amazing. You go to the movie theater. <laughs> you pick up a newspaper. You read yeah. maybe an article, yeah. an interview he gave. And it's like, oh, wow, I can't believe he said that. Yeah. Like, I used to collect GQ magazines because of the interviews that were in them. Yeah. Right? So maybe maybe it's time to go back to that era for me, like, as, as yeah, me, yeah, yeah. you know? Uh, you know, people talking about your work rather than you being the one promoting it. And again, I'm, I think it's amazing that this channel was created for shameless auto-promotion. Like a friend of mine, <laughs> Caroline de Maigret, said she had it as her tagline and she became, you know, very influential influencer, opinion leader. And, you know, you know, she was very upfront, shameless auto-promotion diary. And I think that's brilliant. But I really, myself, where I am right now after 10 years, looking at also the benefits, ups, pros and cons, I really ask myself, at the end of the day, I think I'm more interested in people talking about the work rather than me constantly self-marketing the work, you see? Yeah. yeah. And it's maybe a little bit more old school in a way. But I think, you know, it connects to something else because I'm reading a book right now about ego 
ego is the enemy. Oh. The title is a little bit, I'm, I'm not sure about the title necessarily, but the book is very interesting. And one of the points he says, he says, you know, instead of like wanting, to, focusing on wanting to do something rather than being somebody. Yeah, it's true. I, I look at some of my favorite actors, man, and they don't have social, like Joaquin Phoenix, or even the, the people in the past few years that won Oscars. Joaquin Phoenix, Rami Malek, like these people aren't really on social media. Cause like, uh, yeah, part of me thinks like, maybe you just have to take all that time and energy that you spend on there and actually focus on the thing that you wanna achieve or the thing that you're passionate about, which would be like acting. Now, if you're using social media or whatever to like, put on performances and stuff that's different but you're right for for shameless self-promotion i'm like yeah maybe that's not the way no maybe you've convinced me maybe <laughs> no, i go and again, delete it it's it's a hard one i i'm yeah. i feel i i have like you know you say you and you start to imagine okay if i didn't have the instagram account how yeah. would the message of the things that i do go out you know yeah before we go um what are you most excited about next what are you working on next what are you giving your energy to other than of course your kids your partner, your life, you know, work-wise? You know, I'm very excited about everything. I mean, we, my book that was, I wrote a book that is for 11-year-olds up. In fact, also parents and teachers and a lot of adults read it. And it's and it's in Italian, it's right? It's in Italian. It's a toolbox for uh, self-esteem, building self-esteem and handling, you know, bullying, exclusion. And I actually co-wrote it in four hands, uh, with a in, in linguistic intelligent expert. So I come, it's my story, it's the form of the di diary, my diary, true stories of my childhood in school. And, you know, I meet in the book Paolo, who is this expert in intelligence, in linguistic intelligence. And he comes from a more cognitive behavioral aspect. So how the words that we say have a huge importance, right? Because the brain listens and it listens to us uh, literally. Brain has no sense of humor. So mm. um, if you say, I have a problem, your brain is going to start to send signals to your body to produce cortisol, the stress hormone. Whereas if you say, I have a challenge, you're going to produce dopamine and adrenaline, right? Mm. And that's a very wow. different dynamic. And so the idea was to share these tools with young people, like to, to, to make them available for young people. Mm -hmm. We were very fortunate that the book became a bestseller in Italy, an instant bestseller. It's being published now in French, uh, end of January. And um, Arabic, it's been currently translated Amazing. to Arabic, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. And of course, I would love to translate it to English when the time comes and when we find the right publisher. And then I'm very excited because next week I'm going to uh, the biggest world conference on social emotional learning, which is what I work on uh, in Atlanta. So I'm really looking forward to diving and learning again from other people and understanding, you know, what the other players in this space are doing. And, you know, I'm excited to dive into more monitoring and evaluation, which is basically evaluating the impact of the work that we're doing. So how effective this teacher program that we've curated is and the youth program. So mm -hmm. how those life skills that we, uh, we offer opportunities for strengthening to youth uh, you know, listening, confidence, uh, teamwork, uh, 
conflict management, resilience, perseverance, empathy, effective communication, all of these skills that some of us may take for granted, but that need to be taught. And parents cannot teach them alone. And schools need to become better at teaching them. They need mm -hmm. to teach those as much as they teach the hard skills. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we've been doing these big studies. We're doing our first kindergarten, Hadana in Luxor, uh, that is Amazing. showing how this methodology, the Fantasia approach, applies to the national curriculum. And yeah, I mean, Excited to continue the work and um, work with more schools. Um, well, you got a lot going on, um, yeah. and I, I've really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. Absolutely. I think you've For reminded me, me to listen to my gut and everybody listening to listen to their gut and what they're doing, and um, you know, follow your dreams, but but listen to that inner voice because sometimes what you're what you're good at or what you're succeeding in it might not be what you actually want to do, right? And so you've got to listen to that and, and be accepting. And also what you just said about words are very powerful. Uh, we've got to watch what we say to ourselves, to other people, and wording it in the right way uh, because words can be very powerful. And instead of, you know, saying like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get there, being like, the time will come, you know, that's, those are two very, very different things. So hundred percent. Thank you. Thank you good both. seeing thank you, you again. Thank Elisa. you, Alex. Thank you. Kudos for this amazing project. I'm looking forward to watching the series. Oh, thank you. Thank it. you very much. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe, share, and join the journey of growth untold. Don't miss a single nugget. Hit that follow button now on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram. 